around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Today it's not so new. Today it's old. Yeah. Real old. Old as hell, uh, as was last episode of this program. Yeah. I was just thinking about how glad I was that you had the kick on this episode because I would have said welcome to the greatest generation because I was not paying attention when we started. <laughs> mm. It's only going to get more confusing as we do the episode, Ben. This isn't the greatest generation. This is the original generation. That's right. As we continue our off-season project of watching original series Star Trek episodes that may or may not have something to do with the new Star Trek series that are being made by the CBS company. Yeah. Speaking of new series being made by the CBS company, did you see the big news, Adam? I did see the big news. Uh, friend of the podcast, Anson Mount... Gets picked up for a series. Yeah. Really happy for him. Happy for uh, for Ethan Peck and Rebecca Romaine also. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's super cool that we're not going to lose that cast because I thought that they were so great. It's, uh, it's going to be called Star Trek colon Strange New Worlds. They all have a, a three-letter abbreviation, right? They do. So is it is it going to be SNW? Are we going to be talking about SNW? Because that does not roll off the tongue. It doesn't. It makes me think that it's going to be STW. Hmm. Like Star Trek Worlds. worlds. <laughs> Star Trek dot 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 worlds. I mean, by not giving it the name of a title character, I think you could conceive of the idea that this is going to be a series that where all of them will be the main character to some extent, right? This is going to be a, a show about this crew. Yeah. And maybe less so about one person. I think that um, in reading some of the interviews uh, about it, that's part of the intention is that it's a bit of a return to form. They're going for a more episodic format. Uh, Akiva Goldsman, speaking to Variety, said more optimistic and episodic. So... That's definitely a different tone than like, you know, Star Trek Discovery is uh, not um, not unoptimistic, but it's a pretty dark show and it's about... It's not optosodic in the way that this one's going to be. Right. But yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, that is going to be an interesting thing to see them try because I think modern television is so oriented toward big, high stakes story arcs and a way that we've both talked about being a little tired of at this point. Do you think that the timeline for this is going to be before we saw the ship arrive on Discovery or after Discovery leaves on its time travel mission? Oh, so they, they're like the only three people in the universe that know the big Discovery secret, so they're just walking around winking at each other the entire time? I like that version of the possibility better. I yeah. think that like that every moment could be imbued with that kind of tension. I think it would be good. Yeah. But also if, you know, just hearing you describe what the series is going to be about and how it will be constructed, it would seem as though it would be more likely the former than the latter, right? These missions would predate what we've seen on Discovery and Short Treks. 
Well, one thing that I could see them experimenting with, given its episodic nature, is telling stories from kind of all over the timeline. You know, what would a story about Captain Pike look like after he stopped being captain of the Enterprise if you just had a story like that one week, you know? Just a 42-minute episode of him in a chair beeping, (laughs) running into walls. I mean, there's story to be told there. That's a powerful episode, Ben. I think think it really makes you think. (laughs) There's also um, news uh, out of uh, Jeff Russo, who I may, may have seen at my local grocery store last week. Hey, that's a good sighting. Can't be sure because the person in question had a bandana covering most of their face, but I was like, God, that could totally be Jeff Russo under there. And uh, he has confirmed that uh, they are finishing uh, season three of Disco remotely. The the musicians are playing their parts remote. So we're going to get it. It's got to be a danger for Jeff Russo to go to a grocery store ever, right? Because of the chances of hearing a tonic song. <laughs> On the PA? I don't know what Tonic is. Is that a band? It is, and it seems like a likely scenario for him. Hmm. I I really enjoyed meeting Jeff Russo when we got to hang out on the uh, yeah on the score session with him. I I'm looking forward to hearing his work for the season ahead. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if we can detect. When the shift happens, right? Because one thing that really struck me about seeing them recording music for Discovery is how involved of a process and how many people are involved in that process it is. Like it's Jeff Russo conducting a small orchestra and there are people, you know, there's dozens of people in the orchestra. There are people working the recording side of it. There are people that you know, set up all the microphones and things. But then there's also this fairly large group of, you know, producers and editors and things in the control room, like watching the playback and listening to what they laid down and uh, suggesting adjustments to Jeff Russo, who then, you know, makes modifications to how he's conducting his orchestra and like, you know, the second take, like all of those were like, incredibly there were like a lot of people involved in every part of that and it's really hard for me to imagine doing that all over like google meet or whatever yeah i i can't either like it's so much more difficult to conceive of this happening mid-production or mid-post-production the way it has than you know how much more of a chance you get to construct a way to do it yeah if you can see this problem coming like the fact that their work had begun already and they need to figure out a way to complete it seems like it's so much more difficult than if they had just for some reason if post had started right now right then you're not fixing a problem that you yourself created you get to to start from scratch that sucks that degree of difficulty is so hard i don't know i'm i'm very excited about the new season of discovery and uh i'm really glad that they're they figured out a way to get it back on the rails because that um that has got to have been a real blow to everyone that works on that show. Like this thing we made is now in this weird limbo. So yeah, really looking forward to uh, all of that stuff. And uh, it's great news for us because it, it keeps, keeps us in business as a podcast. (laughs) That's right. I can't do a show like ours without stuff to talk about. Yeah. 
So uh, with that in mind, and uh, maybe an object lesson in that is that we're going back into the deep, deep archives of Star Trek stuff to talk about. Do you want to get into Season 1, Episode 14, Balance of Terror? So many people told us that we'd love this episode. The most... The most submarine of Star Trek episodes is this. Boy, it sure is. Um, although it does start in Space Church, which uh, kind of threw me off, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Even Space Church. Very boring looking. <laughs> you think space, you think excitement, but then you hear church and you think, ah, oh, bit of a bummer. Almost as much of a bummer as the idea that, that Scotty is field demoted to wedding videographer (laughs) yeah i mean you don't want your wedding videographer to just set a camera on the wall in the back of the room and forget it yeah just locking it off in the back so he can go and uh and participate fully here's here's a note to anyone who's looking to get into wedding videography you don't get to do that (laughs) but i like to get some of that Good lord. I thought that the set design was pretty fun, like cheap, cheap set design. Like the churchness of it is implied by incredibly minimal things. Like there's a couple of benches to to give us the idea of pews, but then like there's like a stained glass light pattern projected against a back wall, but we never see the stained glass that it's coming from. Right. It's just kind of like like you see that like you know mixed color lights uh falling against the the back wall of that room you're like i know where we are there's some candles there's like everybody sitting facing one direction this is space church this is a scene where two things are happening at once we've got the build-up to the martin tomlinson wedding but uh at the same time Kirk's attention is divided. He needs to check in with the bridge to see what the deal is with all of these destroyed outposts. Yeah, as though they've been scooped up. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, the, these outposts are, are dropping like flies, right? They, uh, they, they've lost track of, uh, of outpost two, now outpost three. They're heading toward outpost four. If you're outpost one, you got to be feeling pretty good about the direction of this problem, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, outpost one is sitting pretty right now. It's, this is going great for them. No one thinks to ask outpost one what they think happened to outpost two and three. <laughs> yeah, and outpost six is is really bricking it because it can see the problem coming from that end, and then it, it's aware that outpost seven, eight, nine. It's got to be pretty scared. Uh, whether or not you are. All the way into marrying Angela, Robert Tomlinson's wedding is interrupted to her by this red alert. <laughs> because initially, Kirk is like, do we have any news about these outposts? Spock's like, as I told you, two and three on the way to four. You don't have to worry about one. He gets up to the podium. He starts doing the the uh, the ceremony. And then red alert Aldex alert right as he uh, as he completes the customary captain on Star Trek getting ready to marry somebody speech. Uh, they've definitely reused this this dialogue. And uh, since the days of the first wooden vessels, all shipmasters have had one happy, happy privilege. privilege of joining together two people in the, the bonds, bonds of matrimony. Of matrimony. And so we are gathered here today with you. Uh, it was fun to hear the OG rendition. Um, so that you may pledge your alert, alert, 
and uh, and and the adventure is afoot. It's red alert to theme song, right? Yeah. What happens to this couple was a thought that I had at this point. They've got to go back to their stations. Yeah. Nothing seems like it was in the budget for this show. Like nothing was in the budget. So uh, I, I understand why it wasn't this way, but I wish there was a dress uniform version of the TOS uniform and that like a lot yeah. of the rest of this show, people are like dressed up and doing dangerous, scary shit because they just haven't had t- time to change. You get a couple of close-up shots of Kirk while he's wearing his uniform, and it looks like he's wearing the skin of Kermit the Frog. (laughs) (laughs) It's got that same texture. Yeah, and it is not easy being green, as we find out. They're heading off to this, and and this episode has to teach us about like the existence of the neutral zone between the Romulan Star Empire and the rest of the galaxy. Has to teach us about like what these outposts are. Kind of interesting, like kind of pre, it seems to predate like the terminology of the Federation and Starfleet in some ways, because they talk about like Earth Outpost and, you know, Space Force and stuff like that in this episode. It's interesting that this, that this book report is given on the one MC and like you get, you get some shots around the ship several times during this episode. You never get the shot of the guy who's hearing this for the first time. <laughs> yeah, the guy that like has never cracked a newspaper open in his life and is like, yeah. we were at war with who? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Like there's there's an A to B here because Spock finishes his report and then Kirk follows right up behind him with the nugget that the outposts and the Enterprise are expendable on a mission like this. Nothing can violate the treaty. Yeah, the neutral zone is inviolable. And that's that's like a standing order that Kirk has, like a secret standing order that, that Kirk has, that now that now that they're in this situation, he can read the rest of the crew in on. Kirk's been given a number of strange orders that reveal themselves to us in this episode. One of them, and I think this is something that that has been proven over the course of our experiment with TOS episodes, is he's always given a lippy helmsman. <laughs> Mr. Styles is like, He's one of these people that really holds like generation long grudges. He's the Lieutenant Dan of Star Trek. Like the styles have been killed (laughs) in war after war. Yeah. Like he doesn't know any of the people in his ancestry that died in the hundred years ago war with the Romulans, but he's still bent out of shape about it. Kirk's like, you didn't even know them. (laughs) Why are you so upset? Yeah. The war is described pretty interestingly. Like it happened like in an era where the the ships were really primitive, where like they never even saw the other ships, much less the people operating them. It was just lobbing nukes from long range at each other. And like the neutral zone treaty was established over subspace. It was a like the, the, the Romulans are a mystery. And that's one thing like going back from... Watching Picard, I wanted to know was like, was the mysteriousness factor as big a part of the Romulans and their original conception as it is in Star Trek Picard? Because I feel like Star Trek Picard takes some liberties with that and makes it like a little bit richer. Like the whole like there's fake front doors on Romulan houses stuff Mm -hmm. isn't really like implied by anything that's said in this episode. But the fact that they are a, a cipher to humans in this episode is uh, is interesting and and fun to think about yeah i like that too 
Spock doesn't have an especially good bedside manner because they go back to scanners and he's like, yeah, I just want to reiterate that uh, outposts two and three have been pulverized. Like it's just cat food and rock. Hey, Spock, when you put the construction paper map of this, you know, of the sector of space we're in up on the view screen, maybe make uh, outpost two and three not look exactly like all the other outposts in that case. (laughs) Yeah, maybe use an ink dropper. Make that make that part wet. <laughs> I wish in Discovery they had like thrown back to graphics that look like this. Yeah, I like it a lot. They're they're very like weekend update early SNL uh, graphics. Yeah. One thing that is most certainly wet is the uh, conversation that Angela and Robert have in the phaser control room. She's going to get her man, <laughs> and uh, she's making sure that Robert knows yeah. it. It's, uh, it also lets us, the viewer, know that uh, the Angela Robert story will be a storyline mm-hmm. here. Yeah, they, they're not forgetting about these two. I thought, it, I thought it was also interesting that that scene sort of ends with him like pulling rank on her a little bit in a way that she does not seem to like. And I like the idea that, uh, like, he's her superior officer now, but when they get married and when they get to the marital bed, he's going to be like a bootlicking sub. <laughs> like, this is only something that that flies at work. And when you get into my territory, bub, it's going the other way. Yeah. Uh, Robert's going to be the one taking the torpedo <laughs> uh, during the honeymoon, right? Yeah. Ready, fire, control. <laughs> yeah. I like them quite a bit. Yeah, they're cool. They're they're given personalities. Yeah. As we go around the ship, I think that one thing is very apparent. Like, I love the heterogeneity among ages and body types and attractiveness <laughs> on the ship at all the different stations. Yeah. It it looks like it looks like a, a city block in Little Italy. You yeah, know? totally. Like, <laughs> Like, I'm not saying there's a lot of racial diversity, definitely not saying that, but like in every other kind, I think there is, there is that. There are like some racially diverse choices being made. Like there's definitely like a guy that comes in and takes over at Mr. Styles station that appears to be Latinx. They're like... Ben, that guy, I wanted to talk to you about him. Okay, let's talk about him. I had to know who he was. (laughs) His name is Ron Vito. Wow. <laughs> One of the great names. Okay. So I'm guessing Italian then? Probably. I mean, I think in your in your Mount Namesmore on Star <laughs> Trek, I think Ron Vito belongs up there with Biff Yeager. Yeah, Ron Vito is pretty, <laughs> pretty great. He, uh, a guy with no lines, right? Yeah, yeah. He plays a character named Harrison. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't, they didn't bring him back for the films. He's great. Yeah. Pretty fun. You got to get Styles out of that station, though. Like, replace him with Ron Vito or anyone else is what I'm saying. I was surprised that Mr. Styles wasn't, like, told to, like, go cool off in his quarters a couple of times. Because he definitely, like, he gets lippy with the captain, like, right up to the edge of what would be acceptable on any bridge. I was suggesting that Mr. Spock could probably translate it for you, sir. You get the idea that Kirk maybe runs his bridge like this, like with what he allows. We we now are we now have a sample size of what, like a half a dozen episodes, and I feel like this is a quality of 
of leadership to him. Right. He's not kicking guys like Styles off the bridge. He, he does not consider that to be a threat to his authority as a leader. And um, it speaks a lot to his confidence as a leader, probably, right? Yeah. And I mean, in this episode, he does like change course on something based on a disagreement that Styles has with a choice, with, a, with an order he's given. So right. that's pretty different. They get a message from Outpost 4 with a... You can tell that, that things are bad whenever you get a call from a Hanson. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Commander Hanson calls in from Outpost 4 to say that the battle does not go well yeah. at his particular outpost. I wonder, if he, I wonder if he's related to Admiral Hanson. I don't know. I mean, is this the young man for whom uh, Shelby is a young man's fantasy? <laughs> He is uh, he is in bad shape. His uh, his his uh, starbase has been hit by something, and uh, it's completely knocked out their deflectors. And he's saying like, if they get hit again, it's kaput for Starbase Four. And he's actually able to like screen share on the FaceTime so that they can see what is attacking him. And this is our first glimpse of the Romulan Warbird. And, uh, and we just see, like, we just see it, like, come into, you know, like, come out of cloak, lick a shot, and then that that shot impacts. And we, <laughs> we cut back to Hanson just getting cooked in his, in his base. We get some great cloak react here. Yeah. Like, one of the qualities I love about original series Star Trek is how willing they are to show you the magic of what you're seeing through the characters' reactions. Yeah. And and we get a bunch of that here. First cloaking device, I guess. Right. Kirk and Spock are talking about this cloaker, and they come up with the idea that, that a technology like that has got to consume just a ton of power, which would line up with the idea of what they just saw, right? The ship had to drop the cloak in order to fire that big weapon and then put it up again. There's something about this episode that is... It, there are like a lot of things in this episode that rhyme with the last TOS episode we watched and this like guessing how much power a ship is going to have to use for a thing that it's doing was definitely something that happened in Corbomite Maneuver and 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 it happens a bunch in this like that they are kind of like running mental math like which is kind of preposterous right like that, that they would like be able to guess at what a technology that they've never encountered would cost in terms of energy. Right. It's uh, It seems like they're, they're leaping to a conclusion here, but everything we see from then on kind of bears out this suspicion. Yeah. Um, watching Hansen die on FaceTime is tough. It's tough to watch someone die in any century, I guess. And, uh, and so they're, you know, they need to like speed up even more. They are, you know, they're watching this situation spin out of control and they just don't have any information, you know, like that's the the most frustrating part is like n this ship that is laying waste to all these star bases is not answering hails. Nobody, nobody will talk to them. That's why we're given so much information in the form of spot Kurt conversation, you know? Yeah. There's nothing to glean from their sensors because there's nothing there. Yeah. Kirk has them like stand down red alert because they like all they're doing is just traveling to try and intercept this ship at this point. It's not like it's not like they're with them yet. And when he calls for like standing down weapon station, that's when Styles and eventually Sulu 
kind of pile on and say like that's a bad idea and Styles says he can he thinks it's possible that there are Romulan spies aboard the Entrepreneur which I was a little bit surprised by this is a fun theory if you approach it from the perspective of no one has ever seen these guys and maybe they look like us. Yeah. And also from the perspective of this is a show that like came out during the Cold War and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. imagining sleeper agents are everywhere in the military industrial complex is a pretty easy thing for, you know, for a viewer to to believe. I think that they justified that less in this episode than you would need to in a modern television episode. But like the second Styles suggested, Kirk is like, oh shit, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, but also like a second later, Styles' theory is completely blown up because Ahura is like, you know, I'm actually getting a signal here that we can we can tap into from that ship. Yeah. Want to see what it is? Well, you think it's blown up, but Styles thinks it's been confirmed because when they see that this right. is a guy that looks exactly like a Vulcan. It really narrows down the, the window of suspicion. Yeah. This is Mark Leonard playing the Romulan commander and- as a TOS neophyte, I was like, fuck, what is Sarek doing over there? Right. The man aged very gracefully. He sure did. I would say. Um, asking myself, what the fuck is Sarek doing over there was not uh, put to bed by the round the bridge eyes to commercial that happened here because, like, it's just Spock reacting to the fact that it looks like a Vulcan. <laughs> right. But I was reading that as... Spock going like, fuck, my dad's over there. Uh, Who do I tell, if anyone? The side-eye that he is given for the rest of the episode is pretty intense. Yeah, man. I mean, this is an episode about bigotry as much as anything else, right? It's interesting how Kirk is the only one who doesn't treat him differently. Like, I was shocked that Sulu was giving him the side-eye the way that he was. Yeah. Kirk lays into Styles about workplace bigotry in a way that seems to calm him down for the moment. Yeah. But he does it in such a public way that I think it it serves as an example to anyone else. Don't bring that kind of shit to the workplace. Yeah, but this was like the second or maybe even third time that I was like, I think if I was in the captain's seat, I would be telling Styles to get the fuck off my bridge at this point. Right. Sulu picks up the Romulan ship ahead, and we see from its underside that the ship was built by Pontiac. (laughs) (laughs) It has got uh, just a hell of an airbrush job going. Gentlemen, say hello to the second base mobile. Wicked! You know, a lot of of car detailers... Omit the work on the undercarriage that it, it appears the Romulans really spent a lot of time with. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. Ground effects and everything. I mean, yeah, this sweet baby has been tricked out. <laughs> this sort of turns into an enemy below uh, kind of episode because we now start to spend a lot of time on the Romulan bridge and it is kind of cutting back and forth between this warbird and the entrepreneur as they as they kind of tail each other and engage in maneuvers and it's unlike a like for example Enterprise D meeting up with the Ferengi the first time in TNG um where they had pretty well matched capabilities these ships have mismatched capabilities the enterprise is faster but it is, it doesn't have the ability to 
go invisible and its weapons are less powerful. So the warbird is like, is very much the analogy of a submarine and the enterprise is very much the analogy of a destroyer. And this becomes a cat and mouse game where the enterprise is on the hunt basically for the rest of the episode. And it's such a rare thing in Star Trek for the enterprise to be the one doing the hunting. Yeah. One category that the Romulan ship has a clear advantage over the Enterprise with is that its bridge is styled and lit like an 80s video arcade. (laughs) All that pink neon is, I mean, it either belongs in an 80s video arcade or a 90s strip club. Yeah. Between the pink neon and the fuchsia scarves that some of the officers are wearing. Right. This feels more strip club than than arcade, but uh, but then it's very pre bread box, isn't it? Yeah, as a as a uniform design, it's definitely starting to uh, starting to imply bread box, but but it hasn't gotten there yet. The Romulans also like, in addition to their physical differences, they speak with each other in a very kind of like Shakespearean patois. Yeah, that that is really enjoyable. Death and more death. Soon even enough for the printer's test. There's a connotation of intelligence uh, through how they speak with each other. It, it feels like like if you watch a, a sword and shield, like Roman or gladiator type movie, like they talk like those people. Yeah, a very like ornate, adorned style of speech. And, and also like the commander is this very like brooding character who like, you know, one guy fucks up and he reduces him in, by two rank classes. <laughs> very casually and the guy just like salutes and walks away like it seems like the hierarchicalness is similar but like more pronounced somehow in Romulan society yeah it's time for a McLaughlin group if you want (laughs) over on the Enterprise and uh, Spock does what you want during any presentation he has an attention getting introduction using a prop (laughs) and this prop is designed to give everyone a sense of just how strong the Romulan weaponry is. It's evidently one of the strongest materials that they know about, and it's been just reduced to like a dead leaf yeah. type of material. He's able to, to crunch it up in his hands. Yeah, I, I thought like, you know, open your presentation with a joke is something you often hear. And I thought Spock could have kind of kept this going in that direction. Like, look how powerful I am, gentlemen. (laughs) No, no, just kidding. The disruptor did that. It's big fun. Uh, But this is a, this is a continuation of the sort of vibe we got on the bridge, right? Everyone's welcome to contribute an idea in this McLaughlin group, even Pat Buchanan. Yeah. And like Styles and Sulu argue openly about strategy even to the point where where one of them is like reluctant to keep running down the road, and and Kirk is like, "No, it's fine. Anyone can speak at my table." This is a this is a brainstorming session, gentlemen. Blue skies here. Like, give me your ideas. Right. No bad ideas. Yeah. Sulu is the practical one, and Styles again is the emotional one. Which is interesting, right? Because Sulu was kind of the one that came to Styles' defense in the scene where he was suggesting that there might be spies aboard. Sulu was like, yeah, Captain, I think he's like making good points. But then, you know, like they like they are not just a a unified block after that. Right. It is suggested and then confirmed that the Romulans are a genetic offshoot from the Vulcans. And 
Spock's knowledge of Romulan Vulcan history is what emboldens him to tell Kirk that you need to nip this problem in the bud because ancient Vulcans were very warlike. And if these guys are those guys, and if these guys are the natural progression of who we were at the time unchecked, then you're going to have a real problem on your hands. This could be bad. The plan in this area of space is to use the tail of a comet to kind of dust their invisible enemy in such a way that they can be found by the sensors. The thinking is that this invisibility will be useless once once you go into the tail of a comet. And when there was only one set of footprints through the tail of the comet, it was because the Enterprise was going around the other side to kill you. This is a great example of of the of the fast pace of this episode because we basically cut from the plan to inside the tail with the Romulan commander and as soon as he realizes his ship has entered the tail of the comet he understands the great danger therein all of a sudden because there is a mutual amount of respect being thrown around between Romulan commander and Kirk yeah, uh, Romulan commander starts to realize that his adversary is not a bozo. And that's like one of the things that's so interesting about this episode is that the Romulans know as little about the Federation as the Federation knows about them. Like, it seems like this mission was about kind of like going out and probing them and seeing what they were capable of. And like, once we meet Romulan commander, he doesn't seem like a villain so much as like a capable chess opponent and mm-hmm. i think that one problem i have with the episode is that it it really lets you forget the fact that he killed like hundreds of people as like the inciting incident of this and that he's majorly interfering in the wedding <laughs> that they were scheduled to have yeah. what gives man hey let's cut down to angela and robert like see how upset they are about what's going yeah, what's on what's up with the two lovebirds this is a fun scene because as soon as Romulan commander realizes what's going on, he orders a course correction inside the comet tail, and this infuriates Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> he cannot believe it, but on the, on the one hand, he's upset. On the other hand, game recognized very game. Impressed. Yeah. So they start using the phasers very much like depth charges where they can't see the Romulan ship, so they're just firing phasers off into space and I've never seen phasers do this but these phasers are uh, like exploding at a certain distance from the ship it seems like they're very missile command type phasers right yeah there's like the ray part of the phaser but then there's like a and an explosion in space what you're describing is the is the shaft of the beam mm. and then the tip <laughs> the bell end of the beam right and they're not hitting the warbird, but they are, you know, they're causing bangers aplenty. And the bangers are causing not even girders, but like jersey barriers to fall out of the ceiling of the warbird. It hits uh, it hits Romulan commander's old buddy. Yeah, I don't like uh, I don't like how they built the Romulan ship out of rebar and concrete. <laughs> I think that's a good starship building material. Every Romulan who isn't the commander of the ship is wearing a kind of Rom Yarlin helmet. Yeah. They are kind of cosplaying as Rom Yarlin. Uh like like leatherhead Rom Yarlin. Like that like yeah. they're in that George Clooney football movie. 
Like, if Devo, the band, were just into one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't know if they do this with the Romulans in subsequent TOS episodes, but there was that weird uh, helmet thing that the Cardassians wore in the first TNG episode where we met them. Like... Like, came over top of their head and around front. That's right. I wish they still had that thing. Yeah, it, like they chose more loaf. They got them loafier and less, and less adorned. This Romulan ship uncloaks and fires, and Kirk throws it in reverse in order to... Like, it's as if you were shot by a bullet and could outrun the bullet. That's the strategy here. Well, and this is another thing that really rhymes with Corbomite Maneuver is the going mm-hmm. like going to warp in reverse. Jettisoning the log happens in this scene. Right. Like, yeah. Like the procedures of the original Enterprise are, are well established at this point. Yeoman Rand is on the bridge and uh, she's there at an opportune time because when the bangers drop, she's able to, uh, oh, I fell over into (laughs) Kirk's arms. Oh, I fell over again. (laughs) Right. She's landed on pretty thick. There is no like relishing in point scoring on either side because, you know, by all accounts, Romulan commander should be pleased that, that he fired a shot that hit. But what happened is that the further you get away from the shooter, the less power the uh, the ordinance has. And so Romulan commander is not is not chalking this up as a win. He's he's chalking it up again as an oppressive maneuver that Kirk does in order to outwit him. They lick a few more shots and then and then they kind of go to to dark mode, right? Both ships. Yeah, it's at this point that the Centurion is injured and then later dies. And this is, has become a big distraction for Romulan commander. They were evidently very close. This is another thing that quote-unquote humanizes Romulan commander, right? Like he, he has a great capacity for, for empathy. He cares about his crew. He cares about his crew and also the Centurion like... So like he says something early in the episode about like I've been to I've been in like a thousand battles with you like we've known each other for decades and I like still never know where you're coming from or what you're going to think up next. It makes him feel like he's a deeper well, you know, like like we may never get yeah. to know uh, like everything about him is an interesting thing to imply about a character when you first meet him, you know. There seems to be a kind of math in character building that I thought about at this point. Like, boy, oh boy, we sure are learning a lot about him. It sort of seems like he's going to die because of it. Right. You know, like in a way that if you knew less about him as the story went on, maybe, you know, he's going to stick around for repeat episodes. We're going to we're going to draw out that that knowledge. But uh, I, th- I feel like the calculus of that is so different from this era of television Part of that is probably, like, recency bias. Romulan Commander does that thing where he shoots the junk shot out to simulate the debris of what he hopes will be seen as his own destroyed ship, and among that debris is the body of the Centurion. Yeah, it's the gambit that we've seen in a million submarine movies of, like, load all of the garbage on the ship into the torpedo tubes and and let it float to the surface to make them believe that we're dead. But Spock sees right through that gambit. Spock's too smart for this, though. Part of this episode is about Styles seeing in Spock a potential betrayer. And there's a lot of, like, Spock 
you know, accidentally hitting a switch on a on a shelf when he's getting up from fixing something under that shelf and exposing their position. And I thought it was interesting that the episode didn't like go much further than that. Like Kirk never wavers right. in his trust of Spock. It's like Kirk sees that as an honest mistake, but it's also like I kind of can't think of another time where Spock has like just like derped up where he like, you know, it was like moving awkwardly and and knocked something over, you know. Spock watched Corbomite maneuver. I think he's got a sense that maybe they'll be delivering styles over to the Romulans at the end of the episode, and there he will get to live. Yeah, maybe maybe if all goes well, I'll be able to drink a little Tranya in this thing, and uh, and and we'll get rid of this bozo. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fun. That's the format of TOS episodes. It's a drink at the end and then giving them your navigator. (laughs) And everybody jumps into the air and then we go freeze frame with the credits rolling over. These next few scenes are fun, Ben. The quiet and the dark and the, the whispering. You don't want to give away your position. You just want to hold completely still. There is a great scene with Bones talking about, like, the size of the galaxy, the size of the universe, and that's math that we've heard talked about in in Deep Space Nine episodes recently on The Greatest Generation. Like, there's that scene where, like, a Ferengi arms dealer is, like, looking out at all the stars and is like, every one of them's got a planet with billions of people living on it. Like, what would you trade, like... Like, would you trade all the wealth in in the world to, like, watch one of those wink out? And Bones is, like, so far in the other direction. He's like, you know, all of that math is is overwhelming, but there's only one Jim Kirk. Don't let this be the thing that, you know, causes Jim Kirk to lose. I thought the proportionality of this conversation was really funny to me because Kirk basically is confiding that he's having a bad day at work. <laughs> And what Bones does in this scene is is treat it like he's talking him off of a ledge. Yeah. Don't destroy the only Kirk we've got is basically the message. And I half expected Kirk to be like, what are you talking about, man? I'm just venting. I'm stressed. I'm not like suicidal. What are you doing? Yeah. Hey, you want to go help someone out? Spock could probably use a, a, a kind person to talk to. You know what Spock could use is just somebody like giving him a hand so he can get up without punching a button that exposes our position to the enemy. Spock's about to eat a phaser somewhere else on the on the ship. Why don't you go make yourself useful, Bones? <laughs> so, yeah, they they expose their position. They have to like light the ship back up really quickly. And uh fortunately the the thing that Spock had just finished was fixing the phasers. So, they're they're back to licking shots into space. Uh, just kind of aimlessly because they can't they can't get a fixed position on this Romulan ship. Um, this kind of feels like the introduction of the idea of a cloaking device. I don't think we ever hear the phrase cloaking device in this episode, but it makes me wonder about the Klingons because uh, the Klingons have a cloaking device in season one, episode one of Discovery, but it's also a like, what the fuck even is this? thing in that episode yeah and it seems like a very special thing right like the ship of the dead has it and the scarcity of the cloaking device is is like a big story element in discovery so i think uh 
I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to steer the ship from the middle of the episode here, but uh, but maybe maybe an, another thing to do would be look into TOS Klingon lore on this show. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. There can be only one answer to that. The fact that this battle has like not really gone in Romulan commander's direction at all the entire time is really starting to wear on him. And he starts to he starts to ascribe sorcery to Kirk's abilities here. The thing that Spock and Kirk have talked about with the like power consumption needs of a cloaking device uh, starts to bear out in the conversations happening on the Romulan bridge, right? Because they're like, "Fuck, we're really running low on fuel after all of this fun and games." The mutual admiration between Romulan commander and Kirk leads to a point where at different times one of them has the other on the ropes and it seems like there is a question about whether or not for example kirk will take the kill shot right or romulan commander will take the kill shot necessary to win the war here yeah and the hail mary that the romulan commander tries is like let's load a bunch more garbage into their torpedo tubes but also a nuclear warhead and set it on a proximity fuse and see if we can't get rid of these guys because like we're beaten otherwise we're we're dead meat you could say that this works yeah i mean i think that the enterprise catches the gambit before it's too late but it does fuck the enterprise up a lot the crew are going to six bay with radiation burns and stuff robert tomlinson's like uh the only way i'll miss the wedding is over my dead body <laughs> Angela has a big laugh, clearly unconcerned about the chances of that. One of the craziest bangers when this thing goes off. I don't know if you watched the wide shot of the bridge where, like, there are characters falling to the left, there are characters falling to the right. There's no continuity over, like, which side the banger is coming from in the way the crew reacts. They're just like, we're falling over, but taking seven steps in the process. The direction is fall, not fall in a specific direction. (laughs) Pretty silly. This puts the Enterprise back on its heels, right? Like, the, I think the Romulans could take a kill shot at this point. Right, this is their turn. And demoted guy is like riding for that. He's like, hey, I know that I'm like a sub ensign now, but what about what about killing them now? Non-captains of this story really have a lot to do. Yeah. And they have a lot to say. One of the places that this happens is in that phaser control room. Styles is in there because he knows how to work the phasers. This blast has, has either taken out a lot of people or damaged it in such a way that they need help there. So Styles is in there. Uh, work in the controls, but unfortunately, there's a coolant leak in there. Mm-hmm. What do we know about coolant leaks on Star Trek, Ben? They make you do sexy run and run and rollovers. You got to bring down the blast door. You got to you got to Indiana Jones that shit. And what do we know about the consideration Spock gives to the needs of the many? You can see him putting on the of gloves <laughs> in this scene. Yeah. He's ready to go in. Yeah, Spock goes in. He inhales the purple gas, but he gets the phasers engaged. It seems like maybe uh, one of the best things that they did when they when they upgraded to the Enterprise D was they took a lot of guys out of the command chain in firing the phasers. Like it seems like right. somebody on the bridge of the D can push a button and the phasers fire, but the but the original entrepreneur is like. 
fire phasers and somebody on the bridge then relays that order down to phaser fire control who then relays that order to like two other people in phaser fire control before the phasers go that may be the part of the episode that's the most submarine like right the the relay of commands right so spock ends up firing the phasers yeah. himself taking away any suspicion styles had that spock may be in fact more loyal to the pointy-eared people on the other ship that Romulan ship is pretty fucked up, and uh, as Kirk is wont to do, he gets them on the FaceTime and extends his hand, his hand of, would you like to beam over your survivors? Yeah. It's okay. I've won. <laughs> and Romulan commander refuses. It's not, it's not in his way. They're creatures of duty, he says, and his duty is to blow up that booty. He turns around, hits the plunger, and boom goes the dynamite. Yeah. Pretty wild on-screen death. Styles is alive thanks to Spock. He's recuperating in Six Bay, and uh, because racists only see their folly when their lives are threatened and then saved by the races that they hate, <laughs> uh, Styles has learned a valuable lesson and has redeemed himself. He gets a moment of redemption that Tomlinson does not, because Tomlinson, being dead, has left his fiance at the altar in a particularly cruel way. Pretty rough. I, I guess we we started to talk about how forbidden it is to go into the neutral zone, and like one of the last moments in the episode is Yeoman Rand coming down and telling Kirk, like, "Hey, good news! Starfleet Command radioed up and said, like, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> like." Go on into that neutral zone if you think it's the right thing to do. It's a quality that that I think is locked into TOS that subsequent series never got. Like there was never the wait for approval effect that you get in this show. Kind of a bitter pill. Like a great, cool. So that was okay. Awesome. Hey, uh, approval, whether or not it's retroactive, is still nice to get, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. The button on the episode is a brief scene in Space Church with Kirk uh, coming down to console the bereaved almost widow. So you were married to this guy? Mm. No, he was just my boyfriend, she'll have to say. (laughs) And then a wave of disappointment ripples throughout the party. Yeah. Well, did a wave of disappointment ripple throughout your living room as you watched this episode, Adam? I I maintain my my new love for original series Star Trek, Ben. Wow. I had a great time watching this ep. I loved it quite a bit. I thought I thought the big get was going to be uh Mark Leonard. Like yeah. like that's the that's the reason a person would love this episode, but there's so much more to it than that. Mark Leonard is fucking great in it though. Yeah. And no no uh, mystery to me why they were like, hey, let's get that guy back and do other stuff with him. It's sort of a good news, bad news when you nail your casting so well for a character you have to kill. You're like, fuck. I mean, I guess we can wait 20 years to try to bring him back for something else. <laughs> <laughs> but But that's sort of like the casting success that you want to feel, right? I think ideally you grieve the death of a character because you've cast him so well. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a feeling that you get here. Absolutely. Well, uh, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages on this episode of The Greatest Discovery? I think they're decloaking right now. Oh, boy. 
Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Matt. It's to Ben and Adam, and the message goes like this. Hey, guys. I tried to do this once a fiscal quarter or so, and usually <laughs> try to, like, send a bit for you to do that I think is funny, but things are kind of stressful, so I don't really have any time to come up with anything. I guess you could say the word but. <laughs> Butts are funny. They are. Anyway, thanks for the jokes. Oh, and also, hit that Chris Brenner drop. It's my favorite. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> That's one of the best drops. So there's Matt playing the drop jukebox. Very, very fun. Um... We have another priority one message here uh, from Ensign Scotty, and it's to Dave Toolman Tool. Goes like this: Looking forward to seeing you at another rock weekend this March in Oregon. Moreover, I'm looking forward to crushing you once again in all the board games. Your lack of skill at board games is legendary, and now all the friends of Desoto know as well. Don't forget the rocking flag this year. Safe travels and get ready to do it like you brew it. Ben, we never do this, uh, but seeing as the requested date for this message was early March (laughs) and it is now uh, post the early times, I'm compelled to extend a do-over to Ensign Scotty for missing his timeline here. Yeah. Uh, there is no way that Dave the Toolman Tool and Ensign Scotty were able to attend this rock weekend in March. Can't imagine. Uh, I want to say I, I hope they didn't go to that music festival <laughs> if it did happen. Uh, but also, if you have another flag you'd like to rock uh, in the form of a P1, uh, I would I would extend to you a do-over, given that this was supposed to be in early March and we are now in late May with our ability to share your message. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a nice thing to do. Well, uh, thanks to Matt and Ensign Scotty for getting Priority One messages. And if you'd like to get a P1, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. We really appreciate it because it helps us cover the cost of making this program. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make... The shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun, and uh, I recommend it. uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. 
I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Yeah, I think I'm going to give it to Styles just for, like, not reading the room. I think that uh, having a boss like Kirk would embolden anyone to kind of speak out of turn and mm-hmm. say, you know, say shit that wasn't necessarily appropriate to say. Like, I think that that's probably a just a hazard of working on the entrepreneur to some extent, but... That just means you have to get better at knowing when the right time to speak up is. And I think Styles, you know, in doing, in speaking up all the time, gets it about one third of the time he does it in this episode. But, uh, but you got to be better than that, you know? That's the excellence that is being asked of you in Kirk extending that kind of trust. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like Kirk really needs to crack the whip a little more. (laughs) I mean, he's unfortunately the boss I wish I had, and and he shouldn't be. (laughs) He's way too chill. Yeah, he's he's the boss we're trying to model ourselves on at the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporation. That's right. Uh, How about you, Adam? Did you have an Edward Larkin? Uh, I have a very rare visual Larkin, Ben. If you could scrub your episode to the time code 28 minutes 4 seconds 
you will see the panel that falls from the ceiling that you described so ably earlier on. That that panel gets propped back up, and it is there. Yeah, we are made aware that the panel has boobs on it. <laughs> Who knows what boobs panel does? Yeah, I don't know. It's an alien technology, right? But uh, but I couldn't. I mean, like like so many boobs, Ben. I couldn't take my eyes off of them once I saw them. There are a lot more highway accidents on Romulus because the K rails <laughs> that divide the opposing lanes are very distracting to a certain kind of driver. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so boobs panel and its use as as a fixture on a Romulan ship. That's my shemoka. Mm, fair enough. Well, it sounded like you had an idea of a bit of programming to watch for our next episode. What's it going to be, Ben? I think Errand of Mercy is the episode that introduces the Klingons. Do you want to make Errand of Mercy our next episode? Let's do it. The description is Kirk and Spock battle Klingons to free Organia. Got to come to the rescue of the Organians, Adam. Sure do. All right. Well, that will be the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. And we're going to leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's from here. So uh, thanks for listening. And uh, come on back next week for some more fun Greatest Discovery hijinks. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is produced by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is a podcast that's made possible by the support of listeners like you. To make sure that we continue to make episodes, visit MaximumFun.org slash join and pledge your support. By doing so, you'll gain access to all of the Maximum Fun bonus content, including our bonus episodes. If you want to chat about the show on various forms of social media... Just search for our discussion groups or use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is found at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.